Welcome back to Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio. Now your host, Jacobus Hollowine. And welcome back to the third and last hour, folks. Gesundheit with Jacobus, we talk every Saturday, 8 to 11, about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles, be it the body, mind, or spirit. And today, we are talking about some of those topics as we are discussing with Bob Kasmer. Robert Kasmer, licensed psychotherapist in private practice here in Bozeman at the Medical Arts Building, 300 North Wilson. Um, he is uh, doing Imago relationship therapy and, relation, and, and related therapies as he works with couples, adults, families, adolescents, and abused children. He is a highly effective as a workshop presenter, a group facilitator, and an individual counselor. And maybe we can even talk about some of those as we are moving along. Um, we are having a, I, I really enjoy our talk today, Bob. I really appreciate you with us. I realize, Bob, as we are talking uh, in the last hour about hormones, I am passionate about it because the main thing is because I realize more and more that people are being misdiagnosed by the experts and so this is also an oxymoron how can an expert misdiagnose part of that is because they look at blood work or hormone testing and find out that as far as their information is concerned that is within normal range as you have mentioned, you and I were talking before the program, and you say one of the most important thing is that you listen to your patient, that you mm-hmm. listen to the people in front of you, because throw everything else out the window, listen to what they say, then and then you can incorporate whatever tests that are being done, blood tests, saliva mm-hmm. tests, whatever, psychological tests, you can incorporate that into your therapy session that it makes you, as a professional, wiser about the person you're talking to so you can help them better. Mm-hmm. Most doctors don't have the time. There are different reasons for that, and we don't have to get into it. But the point is, people go to a doctor because they see them as the expert. They say, I'll open myself up completely, try to get whatever I need so that when I leave... When I go back in the car and I leave, I actually feel that I have the answer I need to move on to the next stage of my life. Okay. And, and I feel that if you are misdiagnosed and you feel miserable and the, the information should have been read better and should have been listened to better, then it is a, the right step in the right direction. Now they come to you and they say, well, uh, there is something going on. I, I, I can't handle the relationship, whatever that relationship is, where you may f- pick up that there is, a, there is a hormonal problem that was misdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. I know it's not your expertise. I'm not, I'm not saying, well, you know, but if you know that that is true, isn't that 
frustrating or if you know that somebody's sitting with you who is on antidepressants, you realize that the real person is not really sitting there with you. It, it's they're partly manipulated because of the medication. They're held into a balance so they can actually function on a daily basis. But is that enough for you to work with those people? Well, I don't... You understand? Well, I'm not sure, but I, I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know if... Because they're an on an antidepressant, the real person isn't there. Um, I think that we're multiple parts. There's always... If we didn't have constant conflict between our internal multiple parts, part of me thinks I should go work out, part of me says, to heck with it, I'm going to go get a burger. Yeah. Part of me wants to go out tonight, another part of me doesn't. Okay. So I don't know if the real person isn't there, and I certainly don't feel qualified to say antidepressants shouldn't be used at all. I've seen them help people tremendously. I've yeah. seen... One of the symptoms men seem to experience more than women in depression is irritability, burst, outbursts of anger. And I think if the antidepressant can help reduce that and help them have a happier life, I think it's great. Um, but what I do try to do, and again, I am not a physician and not really qualified to take a complete medical history by any means, but... I always want to know, how are you sleeping? How much alcohol or drugs are you consuming? Yeah, yeah. Is there a family history of anxiety, depression, alcohol abuse, mm -hmm. health problems? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, all of those things can help me join with the, the client and understand maybe there's more going on. And yeah. During the break, we talked about sleep apnea and other sleep disorders. And what we know is that people with sleep disorders have often many or most of the symptoms of depression, but they're not depressed per se. They're depressed as a symptom of sleeping poorly. And if I can send them to a sleep center, a doctor, if they get that addressed, we see mood elevate often because they're not sleeping well, they gain weight. Yeah, yeah. And so we see those changes um, often well, I delete often. Occasionally, I have clients with multiple health problems. They don't seem to be go getting anywhere here. I may encourage them to ask another expert, get a second opinion. Go, uh, uh, let's say somebody has a child with autism. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, UC Davis in California's got a lot of great information. They're doing wonderful work. UCLA is doing great work with anxiety disorders. I may suggest, well, if you're not getting the help here, you've tried this, this, and this, mm. maybe you ought to go online and research this, talk to them, see what they can do for you. Yeah, do something in your own time and bring that back to the session next right. time. Right, and yeah. sometimes people come in, they're too breast, they're too stressed. I want to carry the ball of hopefulness and, okay, this isn't working. Let's. What do you think about going to the Mayo Clinic and doing something different? And so I do look at it uh, in that um, I will try to suggest they explore other avenues to get help that it might be that they need. Mm -hmm. But because of the way that you work, your your comfort, your safety, the feeling of safety, uh, it, it could be the calming factor that is needed for them to actually um, could be the calming factor for them to actually let it sink in and say, you know, it. I trust you. 
I I will mm-hmm. uh, uh, pursue those avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I realize that as you are talking, as I'm talking and I'm listening to myself, listening to you, I realize indeed that the whole concept of health is very complex, mm-hmm. especially when it deals when you deal with the emotions. There mm-hmm. are so many factors that could be playing a role in 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 why people are not happy, why they don't get along. And indeed we cannot fill that in this show. And I realize that I need to focus indeed on your work mm-hmm. as an Imago. A relationship therapist, uh, um, but to me it is fascinating to 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 to. Uh, I'm glad that you bring up the diet, the sleep apnea, to the the, the being the the middle person between mm-hmm. these people, sending them in a new direction and say, let's find out if that is something mm-hmm. you we need to address. Something you cannot do, I cannot do, but another expert may may yes. help them with mm-hmm. move them in the right direction. Yes, I I, I see that and. Um, that's good stuff. 522-8255. 522-8255 if you have a comment or question about this. Well, one of the things I w- would mention is, is that we know uh, uh, um, the myth is, is that we're rugged individualists. We do not need affection, love, appreciation. And it's been a, an incredibly damaging myth. Mm-hmm. And that I really want to stress this maybe more than anything else for the people who may be listening is that the myth that we don't need one another is destructive. We know that I read years ago and I don't I, I may not be I may not remember it completely accurately but one of the good ways to diagnose middle-aged men and older uh, if they're a candidate for heart disease is one, married men one question do you feel loved by your wife? Uh-huh. And so that's where I want to help people. I I don't want to say I'm an expert. I'm not comfortable with that. But I think that when people feel love and can receive love, which we know more people have a hard, a more difficult time receiving love than giving love, when there's that flow of give and take of love, of caring, appreciation, People recover from disease quicker. Yeah. They're less likely to have get disease. Uh, there's just too much research out there about cancer and heart disease, especially how important intimate relationship is. Um, and so I think my area is to help them find out what, why they have a hard time giving, receiving love, what parts of them are fearful, and address that. Oh. And have a better relationship with who they are, so they can have a better relationship with those in their life. Huh. Does that yeah. address some of what you're saying? Absolutely. Uh, some of the things I want to just touch on is that you know I want I do want to mention again the ability to receive love. It's it, it's threatening for people. They're more vulnerable. If I let someone in and then they disappoint me, I'll be hurt. Please address that. The other thing uh, I want to go back to, we were talking about the three or four stages of love. Yeah. What Harville Hendricks and others are saying, and I really think there's a a high degree of truth to it, is yes, marriage is about relationship and romance. For those who want children, it's about procreation. But what he is saying, and again, I believe to be true, is 
Relationship is really more about personal and emotional growth, psychological growth. It's the love relationship is, is not pain-free. It's the dandelion coming up through the asphalt. Hmm. What our partners want of us often is where we need to grow. If one pursues too much and one distances, which is often the case, what's going on that you want to pursue so much? What's going on that you want to distance? Once we understand it, and then we can create some ways to help them change. So the, the distancer on an unconscious uh, level often in some way is saying, too much intimacy makes me uncomfortable, I want to run. The pursuer is saying, if I don't have enough intimacy, I feel anxious, scared, and I want to pursue more. And so what we see is in coupleship is what helps one partner to reduce their anxiety triggers anxiety in the other. And so if we have a spender and a spendthrift, the spender says, I just love to go out and shop. It's fun. I feel better. The other partner's saying, the way I grew up, you don't waste money, and it makes me anxious when you spend money. I see. And so the spender's saying, get off the dime, let me spend money. The tightwad is saying, don't spend so much because it makes me anxious. I see. And so the tightwad, <laughs> yours truly, uh, <laughs> has to say, okay, I know that we're not going to die if we go out to dinner and spend some extra money. Let's enjoy it. The one who's spending too much has to do what their partner says, vice versa, spend less, find better ways to deal with your anxiety. I see. And so it's that dynamic that can push people into a healthier way of being, being coming out of their comfort zone, being bigger and better at who they are. So let me ask you then, it's not, you don't feel it as you, in your work that you're trying to fix the tightwad or try to fix the spender. It is more, how can these two people work together better? I think both are true. Okay. If the person who is absurdly tight with money but has enough that they can live very comfortably, but don't. I want to understand. I want to help them understand what's going on here. What is your fear if you do spend money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then begin to talk about it, not just to act it out. I the see. person who spends too much, what's this doing for you? What's the history? And can you get that emotional need of safety from not spending money? Or can you get the emotional need of spending money met on a different way without it being self-destructive. It doesn't mean you eliminate it, but maybe you have some more awareness, you figure out some other ways to reduce your anxiety and deal with it in a more conscious way. Hmm. Did that answer what yeah. you're looking mm -hmm. for? Yeah, because, it, yeah. But but you've done this, go ahead. By, by me changing my behavior, let's say being a tightwad, helps me expand my ability to cope, but it also helps my partner feel closer to me because I'm not always demanding they not spend money. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as we said it earlier, you know, years ago I used to think of the Japanese word do, the suffix do in Japanese means the way. And I think intimate relationship is relationship do, pushing, wrestling, inviting, not demanding inviting our partner to try something new, to grow, 
to help themselves and help us mm. as individuals. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. 25 plus years you have done this work. Mm -hmm. When you, if you step to the outside and you look back in, can you see big changes in the, in the topics you address or are they really still similar? Mm. Is, it, is, there a, is there a shift? Is there a change? Uh, well, for me, there's been a, a perceptual changes. Okay. Of, you know, I started off in grad school. The grad school I went to, they really focused on family therapy, bringing okay. the whole family in, getting the family to change as a unit. Um, I don't think about that so much anymore. I don't think I'm an expert at children. I don't see kids anymore very often. And so I think I've shifted in realizing how important coupleship is and that if we can get parents to be healthy, have a healthier marriage, then they parent better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other thing that is shifting for me is out of the family systems work, uh, a, a, a uh, ex-professor at Northwestern, uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz, over the last 20-some years has developed this internal family systems. And I, I just, uh, I, I guess, graduated from the first level of training, and I'm going to continue on and do the second level of training. But it's really in family systems within you, dealing with those parts of you that cause conflict, that, that hijack us. Yeah. And so that shifted um, in that I really having the healthiest part of me talk to the healthiest part of you or anyone else. And so, yeah, there have been shifts. There's shifts in the culture, how we perceive okay, things. Okay, that's, that's right. And I think the shift recently in economy has changed how people are coming in. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I guess I don't want to be stagnant. I probably am. Well, let me ways. ask you a silly question. Does, does religion play a big role if people decide they want to do counseling or not? Do you find that people who are uh, very fundamentalists, that they feel they have to solve their own problems, they won't come to therapy? Or can you not say there is, um, uh, I mean, do people have to be open-minded to come and really open themselves up? Well, I, Is there something I, you observe? I guess. I think there has to be a certain willingness to take personal responsibility for how they're co-creating the dysfunction, whatever it is, and the relationship. I'm asked on occasion, am I a Christian counselor? No. Do I b do b biblical uh, uh, marriage therapy? No. And oft sometimes people then, in spite of uh, my lack of knowledge, will continue to come to see me or continue to see me, or they'll go see a, a, a minister. A, there are Christian counselors. Uh, and, yeah, I do see that as an issue not I don't know I think maybe because of, of the work I I do I don't see a lot of religious conflict uh, I, I do think that um, people may see what I do as voodoo and not real and, and really not biblically based and that's fine it doesn't make sense to me if that it, was the case then it doesn't make sense to me because well, it's all about relationships yeah but it makes sense to them, and so I have to leave that. Right. It doesn't have to make sense to me. Huh. Um, and I, if I've done it, I probably have unconsciously. 
I don't want to change somebody's convictions. But um, do, do you feel that uh, 25 years ago it was a bigger aspect and now it's not? Or if you talk about the changes that you have seen, you may have seen. And I don't want to go delve too deep, but sometimes when you do something for a while, you go like, you know, it's really interesting because these were the kind of questions I dealt with a lot more then. And now I see a lot more questions and issues coming up today that we didn't have then. I mean, that's kind of what I meant. Well, okay. Well, as far as religion, I, I think I have no empirical data that there has been a greater movement toward the evangelical belief system. I also, in my practice, see men much more willing to come into therapy than they were 20 years ago. Okay. And I, I for me, I think that's positive. Mm. Uh, um, yeah. Maybe let's hold that thought. Okay. When we come back, we'll see if we want to continue with that. Okay. This is Gesundheit with Jacob. It's on only another 25 to 30 minutes. And then uh, we'll take, uh, we'll, we'll wait for you again uh, for next week. So stay tuned. We will be right back.